This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to another episode of Moments That Rock. I'm your host, Tony Michaelidis. Last week, we had a gentleman by the name of Mark Moreau. Mark ran, first of all, Island Music, which was previously Blue Mountain Music, then onto Island Records, all before he was 30, when he was managing director there. So, we're going to delve back, dig out what was left, and listen to the rest of Mark's story. And if you're a musician, there are some incredible pointers here on how to, uh, well, no guarantees about a successful career, but certainly the motivation to go about getting one. So, Mr. Mark Moreau. The reality is, is that we were turning over stones that, A&R-wise that nobody else was turning over. We were looking for um, we were quintessentially a, a commercial alternative label. We had we had all the resources, all the money behind us, and the power behind us, but we weren't interested in pure the pure competition. So we were signing very alternative acts for which there was absolutely no competition. So you know there was no competition in signing Nine Inch Nails for the World X USA. There was no competition in signing. PJ Harvey, well, there was a little bit. It was it was just independent labels. So 4AD were trying to sign uh, Nine Inch Nails, but there was no there was no um, CBS records or Mercury records or anybody else competing with us. And so therefore, you're picking up talent at a much cheaper level. It doesn't mean that you don't invest in them, but you're not you don't you don't have the huge advances uh, of a competitive deal. And that actually, actually, actually nobody wanted to sign you too, did they? Indeed, absolutely not. We were right at the end of the chain there. And so the advantage there is is that you can make three albums. And I did that with the Stereo MCs. I did that with PJ Harvey. Everyone forgets that it's the, it's the it was Pulp's third album with us that, that gave us Common People and the massive worldwide exposure and hit. So getting to three albums was the luxury that we always had because our talent um, cost was significantly lower than everybody else's. Um, and that was something that, that Chris had really um, had really kind of inbred into me that, that we needed to be able to get to that point so that people's vision could be realized. And in fact, going back to your original point about U2, 
when I um, went through the U2 files, when I became managing director at 29 years old, I'm, I'm not going to embarrass anyone, but I found a letter from the managing director, a previous managing director of Island Records, to Chris, pointing out how badly unrecouped U2 were and suggesting that we drop them. So this letter existed where the managing director had written to Chris Blackwell to say, we need to drop them because they're nearly a million pounds unrecouped. And you've got to bear in mind, this is the early 1980s, sort of probably around about 1983, 84. And so you, you've got to put in the context of an independent label what a million pounds actually means. So that managing director was probably doing the right thing from a from a sort of an accountant's point of view. But Chris did the right thing because written next to the note, handwritten, was the word no, exclamation mark, CB. And I just loved that letter. And um, I wish I'd kept a photocopy of it, really. That was an absolute example of Chris stepping in and saying no. And, you know, when, when you work with someone like PJ Harvey, there was a moment where um, when she delivered the second record, which was Rid of Me, she came to see me in my office and she said... Um, I've got the album sleeve. And I said, well, I thought, well, how can you? Because we do the album sleeve. That's our job. You know, uh, that's why we've got Bruno Tilly to, to do it. And she said, no, 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 I've, I've got the album sleeve. And she slapped a, a boots um, a packet of, of 36 um, photographs on my desk. And she said, um, take a look. And on, I opened it up and it, there, were, there were 36 black and white photos. And one, um, about 20 of them, was her naked in the bath um, with a very fast exposure, flipping her hair back and the water going everywhere in the bathroom. And that was the front cover. And then she said, I, I, she said I've got the back cover as well. So the, the remaining 16 photos, she had put elastic bands all over her face, all over her face, left them there for half an hour, peeled them all off. And her face was scarred with, with the remnants of the elastic bands. And that was the back cover. And then she asked me if I could, if I could reimburse the 13 quid that it, it cost to have it developed, which I did out of petty cash. And that was our front and our back cab cover for the album. You know, that, that is the complete vision of an artist. It's not just the music. It's also knowing who she wants to be seen as and how she wants to be interpreted and having full control over that. And, I admire that in her and in any artist. But then you think that there are, there are other album covers where, where we might spend 40 or 50,000 um, pounds getting the photography right, which is what we did when we sent PM Dawn to Iceland to have photographs on an ice flow. You know, there, 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 you, you make choices based upon what the artist needs at the time. Did you instigate the kind of relationship with McGuinness and PJ Harvey? I did. He had a few acts, but I, I think that... Paul concentrated on U2, and, and he had a, a formidable staff of, of really amazing women that worked for him. And so um, um, it was Sally Ann McGowan who looked after U2 within principal management, but reporting to, to Paul. Management, I, I thought, was going to be a cinch, but oh my God, not so. Um, so I set up my management company in 2000 when I quit Island Records in a huff. Um, and my, um, in fact, the, the first iteration of it was it was an agreement between me and Paul McGuinness to start Principal Management UK, and that I was going to look for a, a UK roster. Um, and we targeted three acts that we were going to go for for the UK, which was Richard Ashcroft and The Verve, um, Paul Oakenfold, the superstar DJ, and also Jamiroquai, who was big at the time. 
And I won the contracts for Paul Oakenfold and I won the contract for Richard Ashcroft. Um, and I, I didn't get anywhere near Jamiroquoi, but Paul did and it didn't work out effectively. Um, but for some reason, it, that, that conversation drifted and Paul and I decided not to go ahead. So I started my own UK company. I had those two great artists to start with. Um, and I began to learn just how much more difficult and granular um, the act of management is compared with running a record company. You know, running a record company, you, you, I had at least 80 people running around doing doing what was needed and doing my bidding. But when you've got your own management company, you're kind of on your own. And even though I put great staff around me, the artists only really want to deal with you. They don't want to deal with your staff. And it it was very difficult. I also picked up a great band that I absolutely loved working with, which was Lemon Jelly. Um, and we had a pretty good success with XL Records here in the UK. Later on, in a very bizarre move, um, I... When I was signing Lemon Jelly to Sony Music Publishing, in fact, um, the managing director, Charlie Pinder at the time, um, said, do you know that you're named in the Cat Stevens publishing agreement? And I said, no. And he said, no, let me go and get it. So he went to the legal department, came back. There was a clause in the contract that I had no idea about saying that if ever I decide to come back to modern music, Sony Music Publishing will pay Mark Moreau the sum of £150,000 to, to manage uh, Cat Stevens. Excellent. You'll listen to Moments That Rock with me, Tony Michaelis, and our guest, Mark Moreau, who was our guest last week. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. So amazing stories and uh, obviously his involvement with Cat Stevens. More of it to come after this.
nobody had asked my permission. Nobody asked if I wanted to manage Cat Stevens. <laughs> but there was this sum of money in the contract that had been set aside for me. And it was partly because Chris had always, um, again, inculcated in me this, this sense that even though contracts of the old guys, the, the Palmers and Winwoods and Cat Stevens had all expired, they were the foundations on which Ireland was built. And even though we had unfettered rights to do what we liked with any of their stuff, it would be so much nicer and so much better to actually involve them in decisions that we make about uh, repackaging or remarketing their stuff. So I always used to get Cat Stevens in. So Yusuf used to come in and see me. Um, he'd become Yusuf Islam and converted to Islam by that stage. And I used to involve Yusuf in choosing the track listings and the album covers and even the TV marketing campaigns and things like that. Yusuf would have full involvement with, even though I didn't have to do any of that um, from a contractual point of view. And obviously it rubbed off. And, and when he decided that he wanted to come back, he did approach me and, and ask me to become his manager, which I did uh, for his comeback year or his comeback album, Another Cup. Um, so I signed him to Polydor Records, World X USA and Atlantic uh, with Craig Kalman in, in America. Um, for the USA and we sold over a million units and it was good except Yusuf was really scared of fully immersing and coming back so touring was not on um, there were great many opportunities that came up that um, that really he couldn't avail himself of and I found that that was when I began to find management very hard because um, at one point he said to me the problem is Mark you want my success more than I do because I kept coming up with great ideas and I came up with great opportunities, including headlining Glastonbury Sunday night, which he just didn't feel that he could do because he wasn't ready yet. There was too much drink, too much drugs, too much sex at Glastonbury. And it just didn't kind of work with his um, his values at that moment. Um, but it made it it made it quite difficult for me because I didn't know where it could go. Um, if, if we didn't do the touring and we didn't do the festivals and we didn't actually get out there and do the work. Um, but then I worked with other people like um, with, you know, Paul Oakenfold, Lemon Jelly, um, you know, various people. Um, I sold I, I sold a business, a management business, um, started another one um, with um, Mark Hargreaves. We managed Jesse J, Ella Henderson, Becky Hill, who's still a number one artist here in the UK and still performing on festivals and so you know I carried on working in management for ages but always felt that it was very difficult to scale it up in the way that people like Irving Azoff has done um, mainly because the clients really only wanted to deal with me and I, I found it difficult to actually spread myself that thin um, you know it's there's a point where if you take on one more project then every other project um, begins to suffer so it, it was always a sense that I could never really manage any more than three or four acts at the same time. My last iteration of management, um, I, I, I was getting, I won't say I was getting bored with music, but I was, I was getting very over familiar with music and I wanted to stretch my legs. So we got into football, Premier Division football management. We got into, I managed a Formula One driver for, for three years, which was fantastic. I went all around the circuits with him. And I began to spread my wings and get into other forms of management. Um, and then in amongst it, this is going to sound so bizarre, Tony, um, there was a painter, a, a fine artist called Scarlet Raven, who approached me to say, um, if you can manage a Formula One driver and a pop star and a football player, you can manage a painter. Why don't you, why don't you take on a painter? 
Um, and you will remember her father, Tony, uh, because he was Raph Ravenscroft who played the sax on um, that Baker Street. Um, Baker Street. Yeah. I knew him because I had been the publisher of Baker Street. Um, so he had be, he'd been pushing Scarlett to, to work with me. Um, and I said to her that I didn't feel that I knew anybody in the infrastructure of art. I knew a lot about art and I knew what I liked, um, but I didn't know anyone that could, I could push a career forward with. And so I said that if, um, if I come up with a big idea, then I will, um, I'll come back to her. And what happened was that we had a purple patch at Crown Talent. I was the chairman of Crown Talent at the time. We had a number one with um, Jesse J, uh, Nicki Minaj and Ariana Grande, bang, bang. And that was knocked off number one by Ella Henderson's Ghost. And that was knocked off number one by Becky Hill's Gecko. So we had three number one singles in a row with three beautiful women. Um, and when that And when that happens... Um, brands come running and you expect it. So you expect, um, you know, makeup brands, um, clothing brands, all, all of that stuff. But in amongst it was a technology company that that had the first ever augmented reality. And when I saw that technology demonstrated, I thought of Scarlet the Painter. So I took the technology with their permission um, and I started working with Scarlet to create the first ever augmented reality fine art. Um, and to cut a very long story short, um, I ended up having to declare myself half the artist. So I became the augmentist, creating all the animation and putting all the music and poetry and words into it. Um, and we ended up with 11 major exhibitions, including three national museums in the UK. Um, we sold about five million pounds worth of art. And it was the first thing I'd ever done declaring myself as an artist. But it kind of forced by hand. What do, what do I want to be? I think I must have been 58 years old at that stage. I was still commuting every day to London, uh, driving um, 160 miles a day. And suddenly I was given the opportunity to become an artist in my own right. And I, I took it, I seized it. And I've, and so that's really effectively what I've done over the last seven years um, is that I have been working as a fine artist and having exhibitions all over the place and selling work. Um, but I've been coaxed back, Tony, and I can't announce yet who the band is, but there's a band that I worked with way back in the day that I really loved and I really love them as people and I always admired their work. They fitted into all of my criteria of, um, of quality uh, in terms of their art, their videos, their music, their ideas. And so they have coaxed me back and they're making an album in secret and I can't reveal any more, uh, but maybe next year I'll be able to reveal. Well, that's perfect to invite you back to uh, talk about your new ventures and stuff. Now, one thing that you didn't answer was, did you bank the 150 grand check? No, I never got it, Tony. <laughs> because, because, the, because the one thing that had happened was the deal had expired already. So he'd already moved on to another publishing company. But the weird thing is that he he must have put that clause in at least seven or eight years before I even saw it. So he must have put it in whilst I was still managing director of Island Records. I mean, I'm I'm mystified as to as to why he he would have done it. Um, other than I'm, I was very grateful and and um, I'm very honoured. Working with great managers is, was the, sort of the great revelation to me, um, Tony. You know, Paul McGuinness showed me what a blue chip management company could look like. You know, they didn't do the 
the messing around they 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 didn't do the partying they did the work you know and i i used to keep on my desk um the whole u2 catalog as cds because they released an album a year over over a 10 year period i i would show that to young artists that i was considering signing to say if you want to understand the work ethic of the music industry take a look at this this is 10 years worth of work you know e even when they weren't recording a studio album they would put in an under a blood red sky or a wide awake in america you know an interstitial album as it were um to keep to keep the fan base going and um paul mcginnis really you know drove that and i mean the band were obviously very driven themselves but you know mcginnis was really important to it and everybody worked so hard within principal management that i learned a massive amount about managing people through observing how Paul and his team did it. Yeah. He was a film and video editor uh, working in Dublin. He was the closest thing that the band had to somebody that knew anything about the entertainment industry, which was not an awful lot at that time. But what he did know about was personal integrity. And Nick Stewart went to see them live. Um, and bearing in mind that every other label had turned them down, um, the, the legend, the myth within Ireland, uh, which Nick would have to corroborate, is that Nick um, got his personal checkbook out and wrote a check out for £50,000 after seeing them for the first time and said, I'm sure Chris Blackwell will refund me. He hadn't got 50p to rub together. And they were so impressed that that was the beginning of the relationship with Ireland Records. But, but, that, but that's why I, I drill down into, into work ethic. You know, when, when you're you know, Chris always said you've got to love the music and love the people, but also I think you need to judge the work ethic. You need to judge whether people are going to be able to hold the course. You know, does the, do the band love each other? Are they, are, you know, are they going to still be working together after after you've invested in the third album? Is it is it going to hold together from a management point of view? Um, and these are the sort of questions that you subliminally ask yourself when you're making a decision about who to sign. Oh, I still love to listen to that. Such great advice from artists. Um, the way he talks about um, his relationships with uh, the artists and what he managed to achieve with them and stuff. But if you're a budding musician and uh, you want to know how it works. Also, he mentions Nick Stewart, who was the guy who actually put pen to paper with you two. And Nick's a, lot, a guy I'd like to get on the, on the show and hear his side of the story. You have been listening to Moments That Rock with me, Tony Michael. This Moments That Rock is where we delve into stories and moments that rocked the life of budding artists, established artists and music industry insiders. And in saying that, uh, in a few weeks to come, I have managed to uh, pull out some Moments That Rock from Mark Moreau. But we'll save that for a few weeks. Thank you for listening. Subscribe, tell your friends, write a review, and we'll see you next week. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 